0: This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we cover Splunk and how it's using AI ops to keep your IT infrastructure happy. Well, welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh yeah. NetApp, I love this company. Cipor, Cipor. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house, and today we have brought a couple special guests from Splunk to talk to us about, well, Splunk. Um, So to do that, I I brought along an oldie but goodie, an, an old favorite of ours, Josh Atwell. Hi, Josh.
1: Hi, Justin.
0: How's it going?
1: That's good. So you're in the basement. I'm in the attic.
0: Ooh. Oh, it's like a heaven and hell thing. Um, so what um what do you do at Splunk these days and, and how do we reach you? Um, so
1: I run technology advocacy at Splunk and I'm most easily reached on Twitter at Josh underscore atwell.
0: So what does a technology key t- technology key technology advocate do uh, exactly?
1: Uh, so we, we do a lot of things. Um, we have spent most of the last year uh, internally advising, um, helping various groups within the company understand um, a lot of customer need, outcomes emerging technolo- around emerging technologies, um, emerging patterns, um, kind of like AI ops and DevOps and DevSecOps. ops. Um, and we also do a lot of uh, external uh, communication and you know, not, not heavy on the Splunk, but mainly uh, in engaging in conversations around those emerging technologies.
0: All right. Also with us today, uh, another special guest from Splunk. So Amelie Karan is here with us today. So Amelie, uh, what do you do at Splunk and how do I reach you?
2: Well, I'm also a a senior technology advocate at Splunk. Uh, You can reach me typically on Twitter um, uh, where I've actually transitioned from a lot of other social media. Um, And, uh, you know, one of the things that Josh mentioned is kind of the internal consulting, but we, you know, even in the the times that we find ourselves in, uh, we try to do as much external engagement as possible. So uh, webinars, webcasts, uh, some writing, uh, virtual conferences and stuff like that, just trying to spread, I guess, the, the good word, but also to kind of spark conversations around topics. Uh, just just because we're at home doesn't mean we can actually uh, skip, uh, you know, looking into some of the technology and advances we need to be doing.
0: All right, excellent. So uh, as I mentioned, you know, we've got people from Splunk here, and and one of the drivers of us having people from Splunk is that at NetApp we are starting to get more interest from people talking about integrations with NetApp and Splunk. So I wanted to just kind of do a high level. Uh, introduction to Splunk, what is that sort of uh, software product? So, Josh, um, what, what's a Splunk? Oh,
1: a Splunk? A Splunk is, a, is, a, measure is
0: of, it, it's a unit of measurement.
1: Yeah, it's a unit of measurement. It's uh, how much data required to get a good answer um, is, is, is one Splunk unit. Uh, no, <laughs> Splunk is a data <laughs> analytics platform that is uh, designed to combine uh, various types of data in order to answer everything. Um, We're able to, you know, we started out with logs. Uh, We've moved into security heavily. Now we're um, moving into the observability space. Uh, And the objective is to use our platforms to ensure that you can ingest whatever data is necessary to answer the pressing questions that you have and get some actionable insights.
0: All right, cool. So we we understand that Splunk is a data analytics engine. What sort of data do you see analyzed with this engine? I mean, I know know I've heard of people using it to look at log files because, you know, if you have thousands of servers, nobody wants to look through all that. So Splunk can do some analysis of that. So what else could it be used for?
1: I think the most important thing to keep in mind is you can correlate just about any data into Splunk. Um, you know, we have customers who use Splunk not just to monitor their systems, but also to look at the impact to business as a result of you know, if you look at an application who has high latency, what kind of impact does that have to losing uh, interest from you know people on the site, you know, dropped carts, uh, or people you know no longer using um, you know your um, web portal or or whatever it is utility that you're you're providing online. And so uh, our customers are actually able to correlate data from all the different sources to be able to identify not just the health of the system, but the the corresponding health to the business.
0: So Amelie, you know, as far as Splunk goes and and the data analysis piece goes, how are we ingesting that data? Do you, you know, what do we use? What sort of protocols do we use? And and on the back end, what are we doing with the analysis? Like how is, how does that work?
2: Well, essentially uh, you know, we can ingest, Pretty much anything, uh, you know. Most folks, you know, you mentioned about like log files. Uh, you know, syslog is, is one alternative, but uh, you know, with the the move to the cloud, you have a lot of instrumentation that can occur and that gets routed into Splunk. Um, but also, uh, you know, you can kind of basically put all sorts of all sorts of data into it. So, uh, you know, where I came from, I came from uh, the the public sector, and you know, worked with uh, some chief data officers and whatnot, and they were looking for for getting data like uh, uh, health information in there, and using the the power of analytics that Splunk provides uh, to to do that. So, I mean, traditionally uh, you look at logs as, as streaming data, but this is also a chance to basically uh, uh, you know data mine sets and so forth. So, you know, for that, uh, the other power and advantage too is that uh, you know its data is personal. So it allows folks to, to once the data is in there, just basically to kind of, uh, you know, look at it and gain insights from their uh, own way of wanting to look at it.
1: And it's also important to note, we, we have multiple constructs that, that we have available for, for doing that collection. Um, we've developed our data stream processor. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit, getting data into Splunk has not always been a, a, a non-trivial thing. Um, but we recently released our data stream processor, which allows us to put a lot of that intelligence earlier on in the cycle that Amelie was talking about. And then also with OpenTelemetry, uh, when we acquired uh, SignalFX and Omniscient last October, uh, we also uh, took a very strong vested interest in the Open Telemetry, uh, which is now a standardized framework for uh, data ingest in the open source community.
0: So when you say it's been non-trivial to get data into Splunk, what sort of challenges did people run into when trying to do that?
1: Uh, I, I think the primary challenge was to, particularly if you're using a new, unique data source type, um, being able to um, have that and, and doing the setup of identification. So it was, it wasn't that it was hard. It's just that you had to set up a Splunk collector uh, that would then collect that information. And you can still use the, the, the forwarders, they call them forwarders. You can still use those forwarders, they're still important and active, but they would use, use that to monitor a directory um, or to monitor a stream. Um, and you would then apply some intelligence downstream. Uh, you could put some on the forwarder, you put some on the indexer. Um, now we've you know centralized that with the data stream processor. So we can bring in metrics and we can bring in logs and we can bring everything um, holistically directly through that and we can also use it to integrate with other systems like kafka for instance if you want to be pulling you know you're collecting information from a certain system in kafka and you want to pull out specific information so that you can correlate it within splunk that's a that's a capability as well it's gotten a lot easier
0: so is splunk talking s3 is it leveraging nas protocols is it a block protocol is it something something proprietary i mean what's what's it using to ingest and, and to deliver that data
1: so with respect to storage protocols, we can use all of those on the back end. Um, primarily, it's been uh, block-based storage that supports the indexers. Um, but of course, we have customers using NFS. Um, we also have uh, SmartStore, which gives us S3 protocol integration. So we can directly put data to Storage Grid, for instance. Um, and it's also used in our in our cloud implementation of Splunk now from the collection standpoint uh, a lot of that is uh, you know directly metric information log information uh, you know we can have relational databases that we can extract information from
0: you mentioned that there's you know a lot of streaming work going on here i would imagine that throughput is a much more important qualification for performance than something like being able to process a lot of operations at one time um, is that something that's true or is that something that's kind of a blend of things yeah,
1: that's a, that's a fun, complex architectural discussion that you're kicking off right there. Uh, I, I think the easiest way to put it is that um, you know, 10, 10 gig networks, flash storage, that combination has, and you know, obviously the the high capacity, speed that we have on CPUs today, uh, that that makes it a lot easier for ingest. Uh, but on the flip side, the amount of variety, volume, and just velocity of data that's that's in a a data center and in the cloud right now is just tremendous. Um, It's mind-boggling, actually. So um, even even while we've got that increased speed from the hardware level, um, there's, there's, there's so much data now.
0: So is Splunk delivered as like a a full encapsulated hardware solution or is it like a software based thing or is it both? I mean, are you looking at cloud plays like in terms of cloud residency? I mean, what is what is going on with like how how you actually deliver Splunk?
1: So we have a variety of different methods for delivering Splunk. Um, You know, the the big push now is with Splunk Cloud, moving uh, a lot of our customers into our cloud based service. Uh, we've had tremendous growth in that and a lot of success. Our customers obviously are enjoying not having to deal with the implementation and management of hardware to support Splunk because it can be uh, hardware intensive as you continue to grow uh, and, and utilize it for more and more use cases. Um, but we do still have Splunk Enterprise that can be installed on-premises um, on your own hardware. In fact, a lot of a lot of our implementations Ton of them have uh, NetApp on the on on the underside.
0: So Amelie, you know, you do a lot of technology advocacy with, I guess, developers and, and dealing with them on an occasion, and maybe even data scientists. What is their, I guess, key objective for Splunk? Like, what are they trying to get out of it, and how do you help them achieve that goal? Because I mean, we're talking a lot about infrastructure and architectures, and they don't care so much about that. What do they care about, and you know, how are you helping them?
2: Uh you know, a lot of it still is kind of infrastructure. Uh, you know, need to it all. Uh, I think one of the advantages that Splunk has is that you know you get all of the data. Uh, that's important for data scientists, but also for developers. If you're missing, um, you know, a notice that uh, an event has occurred or triggered, uh, you may not be able to debug it. Uh, for For developers, that's important, and that even ties into the security people too. Uh, if you drop, <laughs> you drop an alert or something like that. Uh, yeah, you, you you miss a potential attacker and so forth. But you know, at the development side. Uh, you know, if it's something throws an exception and 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 people are, are talking about uh, you know the performance issues and whatnot, uh, if you don't see it, uh, you, you can't resolve it. Uh, Spunk is you know full fidelity and and gets all that in there. Uh, At the data scientist standpoint too, as well as uh, that you know speed is of an issue. Uh, one of the the biggest uh, challenges when I was a, a CTO was uh, you know just response time. When you're dealing with large data sets, uh, you know I was talking about. Uh, you know dealing with stuff that that at the peti- petabyte size uh, you know just being able to search retrieve that and uh, uh, search again uh, is is always important for for data scientists because uh, you know uh, waiting around for a result is is not fun. Uh, uh, it's also very time-consuming, obviously. In, in return, so uh, you know, being able to to gain insights very quickly uh, and uh, uh, you know get that back with a level of fidelity is important for both both developers and data scientists. So you mentioned
0: that there's infrastructure involved here as well, and that kind of leads us into the concept of DevOps um, with with Splunk and, and that sort of thing. So where does DevOps tie in? I mean, with with Splunk, and how are you? Helping people understand how to achieve that goal, that end goal of being able to control both sides of the operations.
2: I think, as an aside, there was uh, you know talking about DevSecOps, uh, so you you see this migration of of DevOps to DevSecOps, and it's it's kind of adding another uh, blob uh, to the the Venn diagram here, and you know it's it's very easy. Uh, to have two groups work together generally sometimes um, and that's built on trust and communications and sharing sharing information ensuring that you know everyone's looking at the same sheet of uh, music uh, say you add a third group in uh, security uh, you know you're 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 kind of bringing that blob in and and trying to to build trust between three groups um, and that's that's one of the, the challenges there is uh, you know leading leading uh, teams as a as a former deputy CIO as well uh, is making sure everybody's seeing the same thing so that when you do have discussions about uh, service quality uh, stuff that you want to uh, push out to a production environment um, or uh, you know event that's occurred from an external use say for the security teams uh, you know being able to talk about the same thing is is absolutely vitally important that that is that's the the I guess the grease to the the the, the lubricant that kind of keeps uh, DevOps. Uh, running uh, as, a, as a functional capability, um, but also, uh, you know, is one of those things is that uh, having data at your fingertips as it would be uh, allows for uh, better uh, decision-making and more rapid decision-making. So that's really kind of uh, where I, I feel uh, tools like Spunk actually fit in.
1: Yeah, and these these environments also set up a, a new challenge, as I mentioned earlier about the the volume and variety and just the velocity of data that's generated um, or, you know, as we describe as a digital exhaust, um, you know, you've got an entirely new tool chain supporting the development of applications uh, that's both on-premises and in the cloud, um, you know, distributed all over the place. So many transactions and uh, pieces of information that have value, both from, you know, an optimization, uh, a transparency, as well as, you know, a security standpoint. And you know, one of the areas that we focus a lot is just on how overwhelming that really is for operations teams, for development teams, for security teams. Um, and it's one of the reasons why um, we've pushed heavily to put a lot more intelligence into our platforms. Um, and, and it lines up with you know, Gartner's uh, framework around AIOps, where you're applying machine learning um, and, and the Constructs used for artificial intelligence in order to support the software and to better support the uh, you know the consumers, the users.
0: So you know, as far as AI ops goes, what's the difference between that and something like DevOps or DevSecOps or DevSec Infrastructure Ops? <laughs> all sure. the ops, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, all the ops. Uh, so DevOps, DevSecOps are obviously methodologies; they're they're ways of working. Uh, AI ops. Um, being a uh, a description or a classification of a tool or a tool set uh, used to help operations people. Um, And the key component is that it is utilizing machine learning or AI-based technologies. Um, Or, you know, Amelie and I have this conversation a lot. We're a long way from true artificial intelligence, um, but the foundational, you know, principle technologies that will eventually support more mature artificial intelligence frameworks they're, they're being applied today in, in enterprise software and in, in a variety of uh, technologies that we use. And so it's the application of those technologies in order to improve the way IT professionals and technologists are able to work. Uh, I love how uh, Deepak over at uh, Puppet talks about automation in the data center. He talks about, it's like, look, we're not trying to replace people. We're trying to give people Iron Man suits. And if you kind of extend that analogy a little bit, um, you know Jarvis, uh, and then Friday being being the AI behind Iron Man. Well, I you know he, he had to train it, right? Tony Stark didn't just plug it in and then it knew how to do everything. Like he had to teach it and train the system on what he was trying to do. Um, but the system was able to utilize well-known mathematical patterns and principles that had been you know put into code and and you know set to learn against the. Uh, the data that was being brought into it, and so we're we're seeing that same type of ma- maturity happen in in the tools that we use to to manage our technology systems.
0: To to borrow your Ironman analogy, you know we can go even further with that and say that he trained it incorrectly the first time, <laughs> so it became Ultron, right? Uh, so yeah, ha-
2: I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so how do we you know tune our applications and our and our AI ops to uh, not become Ultron?
2: Well
1: I mean if we're going to stick with this, one thing that I, thought I oh, talk let's about do that yeah one thing I talk about when when we look at the movie Age of Ultron is that you know he, Tony correctly identified Jarvis as a large set of subroutines and, and algorithms that have learned how to work together. It wasn't true AI but what they got from the mind stone, like that's, that was, that was a true digital artificial intelligence. And when combined that, that made Ultron. So they were two separate total, separate entities. Um, and, and if you, we all recall, uh, spoiler alert, Jarvis wins out in the end, right? He, he ends up doing a lot to, to, to protect us from Ultron. Um, and, and I think that's actually key and fundamental, right? Um, we shouldn't look at AI ops, and even though it says AI, right, that that is that is best providing us a a, a feeling or an emotion towards what we anticipate the systems can do and should be able to do over time. Um, it's not that it's you know it's not Ultron, right? It's it's much more along the lines of the Jarvis. Uh, but to your statement, like it's on us to make sure that we're teaching. Uh, teaching the systems to behave as as we need them to.
0: Well, I mean, I you know you mentioned the mindset, and that actually th- I think went to vision, right? So vision became yep. like this next evolution of of Ultron, where he had empathy and human emotions, and that sort of thing. That kind of helped um, formulate the de- formulate the decisions he was making, as opposed to Ultron, who was operating on sheer algorithms. You know, and, and you touched on AI being you know this term that gets thrown around and how it's not truly ai honestly right now as it stands today and in, in compared to what you can see ai becoming it's nothing more than a giant script
2: <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i'd say if uh, you know you look at uh you know say robo- robotic process automation which is is you know another kind of uh you know, tortured products a little bit now and again um that you know, most most folks look at it. They they pull back the covers, and it ends up looking just like you know rebranded macros in a way. Um, you know, having having done some some AI work back uh, in the early days of my college college years, uh, you know, it's it's one of those cases where it's it's you know kind of very restrictive in what it can do, and 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 you, you basic basically it's bounded it in, in a way. Uh, and but it's mainly there for de- decision support. So the idea is, is to crawl through your corpus and data and whatnot, and provide the user to. Uh, with enough information to actually make the decision, uh, I, I think yeah. You know, when we talk about uh, AI and machine learning, the the benefit that we gain from where we are right now is that you know we have faster and faster computers and we have larger and larger storage. And for humans to do that uh, would take millennia to be able to process all that. Uh, where we get with uh, with AI ops and and some of the tools that we have out there right now is to be able to do all that analysis and then present something for a human to to make that decision. Uh, we're not there, as you mentioned, kind of with the, the I was I'm a big Marvel person as well, but uh, you know, kind of the ethics behind it. Uh, we're not to the point where uh, we are freely going to let um, those tools uh, actively make those decisions on our own. Uh, that that's the strength of where the human brain comes in, and, and while while we can get there at some point, uh, we're not there yet. Yeah, and, and it's it's fun to think
0: about where we can go with this and what it may become. And we can make all the, you know, Ultron or, uh, what is it, the Terminator Skynet. jokes, Skynet jokes that we want, yeah, yeah. right? But ultimately, you know, there's a reality that is today and what we can do today. So, Josh, you know, what is real today? What can we actually do with AI today?
1: Yeah, and as I highlighted earlier, it's those principle foundation technologies like language, you know, natural language processing, machine learning. Those are like the, the two key ones. Um, And then you get some image stuff uh, that that's in there. Um, It's those applications being put into enterprise software and industrial software that, that we see today. And one of the ways that we look at it at Splunk is how do we provide end to end intelligence, right? How are we going to help people all along the entire life cycle of applications from clustering um, of notifications and aggregation of information through that to providing anomaly detection and predictive analytics so that we can identify potential issues before they become issues um, by having intelligent escalation policies, recognizing that, you know, uh, the system says, Hey, I've seen this before. I'm going to try to this automated remediation um, that I've been programmed to understand, Based on that result, if I need to, I'm going to intelligently escalate to to someone who who can then be a responder Um, and being able to track and manage that matching of incidents um, and then hopefully long-term being able to have the system intelligently auto-remediate common issues. We have customers who are doing this today, particularly on the predictive side and being able to identify potential issues and then intelligently notifying people with Contextual information that's relevant to that that issue, so that they can resolve the issue before it actually becomes an active issue that touches a customer or impacts them.
0: So earlier when we were talking about Skynet, and just as an aside, I was <laughs> almost said TechNet, and I don't know if there's any sort of subliminal <laughs> messaging going on there.
2: Microsoft will find something <laughs> at some point. You know? uh, I
0: think they're in my brain right now.
1: TechNet um, is taking over.
0: <laughs> that's what that they've rebranded it. All right. Anyway, continue.
1: No. So you yeah, know that we're, we're not looking at a scenario where the system, you know, uh, I, I joked within our team recently that they were, they were talking about how annoying it is as like everything's slash ops now, right? AI ops, data ops, dev ops, um, no ops. And I, and I joked that, you know, all of these different frameworks, most of them are a direct result of developers, um, wanting to automate away operational tasks and operational disciplines. Um, in, in large part because, well, I'm not trying to be unkind to them. They don't necessarily understand the depth and, and the nuance that's required for, for properly supporting applications. Just like operations, people don't understand code um, sufficiently to, to, to be able to uh, make any strong claims. Um, and But as a net result, now we have people who have development backgrounds um, automating a lot of things that were difficult for a traditional operator um, that didn't have programming experience. So I, I think that's where we, we've now gotten to this net net of we, we now have systems that are much more capable than ever before. And to Amelie's point, now we have to work on making sure we can trust them and not just trusting them without you know, validating and, and interacting with them.
2: And I, I think that also goes to the point of uh, you know the, these aren't just hard technologies. It isn't just you know cold, heartless, uh, bare metal and data. Uh, they're they're technologies to help build relationships because at the end, it's still humans that are doing a lot of this stuff. Uh, you're you're still delivering something to an end user. You're still you know the the the, uh, the in the meat space as it would be of, of your developer and, and operators and security people. They're, they're people, um, and uh, you know the most efficient thing that you can do for a human is is to to uh, ease and and you know, massage communication so that everybody's understood. Uh, and that's that's the, the kind of power some of these things, too, is that, you know, there's, there's no misinterpretation. It's there. It's, it's, it's cold, hard facts in a way. Um, but then, then humans can, you know, make a decision there as to, uh, oh, this is what you meant. Um, uh, there's le- less interpretation required.
1: I see a world now, Amelie, After you say that, where you know we're we're, <laughs> we're trying to apply AI ops uh, technologies to Dev DevSecOps, and the systems like Johnny just put in a uh, a request, and there's some security things. So you can blame him. I saw it happen. I warned him. He did it anyway. <laughs> it's going to start getting snarky and pitting everybody against each other
0: that'd be pretty good splunk is like you know the the rabble rouser now
1: oh let's not use that as a quote (laughs) yeah yeah
0: splunk (laughs) your rabble rouser (laughs) we're gonna air
1: we're gonna air all your dirty laundry and your and your um sdlc
0: splunk festivus (laughs) let's air our grievances
1: yeah there we go feats of strength will follow
0: all right. Um, so as far as the AI aspect of Splunk goes, can you kind of highlight some some real world use cases of where this fits in? Like, you know, we can use our log files as an example or some other data set where AI ops actually, you know, benefits us and, and helps us get our jobs mm-hmm. done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can run through that real quick. Um, so currently, when when things are happening in an environment and, and as we know, right, complex systems are always failing and we have extremely complex systems. Um, so Right now, we're very reactive, right? An incident happens. There's some type of failure detection, and then there's an alert. Then there's an initial triage, and then people have to investigate further. And eventually, the right people are on the job, are on the call, or are, are working on it. The service gets restored, and then we try to identify some root root cause of analysis, right? Um, today's systems now, there there's an incident that is detected and there's no noise. The right person is alerted with the information they need to resolve the issue. There is far less escalation or transfer of ownership uh, because the system has been able to narrow down um, where the incident originated. I, I don't want to go so far as saying root cause because there is no real root cause in super complex systems. Um, but but where where that point of restor- service restoration is going to make the biggest impact, and then that can happen much quickly. But where we're moving towards is that as the as our systems are in place and are looking at your technology systems, you know, software or infrastructure, um, our system is able to identify a potential issue. Uh, 20 30 minutes or more in advance now I don't want to get too far into the and in more because there's a lot of variables there but um, our customers using our IT service intelligence have have reported to us regularly of identifying problems um, you know a half hour before it would have been an actual customer impacting event which gave them more than enough time to, to respond to that uh, to prevent it from being an actual incident. So, you know, we we are seeing reality uh, and and we are seeing some tremendous impacts in our customers who are utilizing these technologies.
0: Do you have the capability to build in some healing functionality with Splunk as well? I mean, you know, sure, we can identify a problem 30 minutes beforehand, but can we also kick off the resolution if it's something that's like, you know, real simple to address?
1: Yep. Yeah, we absolutely can. Uh, Splunk's always had that capability, um, but we also have Phantom as an orchestration product that you can use to program to do that. You know, just like with any automation, it, it takes a little bit of work. You got to understand the system that you're running automation against, the runbook, if you will, of what the steps are for for doing the remediation. But yes, you absolutely can uh, do that. Um, it's, uh, with, with some things it's very trivial with some things, it just takes a little effort Uh, that like I used to espouse way back in the day. Um, you know, whenever you're going to automate something, you got to you know whiteboard it first to make sure you understand what needs to be actually recorded and automated. Um, but after that it's, it's generally straightforward.
0: Amelie, did you want to add anything to that?
2: Yeah, no, I was gonna say is, you know, uh, kind of the stuff that, you know, I'd worked for in the past. We kind of call this predictive analytics. Uh, you know, especially uh, you know where we have in, in healthcare here is to to look at outcomes. Um, <laughs> so I'm kind of you know asking about kind of practical applications. Uh, it's one of those cases where we we hand built something uh, to give us insight into the data that we had, and uh, a lot of that was for us to to essentially kind of uh, you know grab for a solution before uh, you know, an event had occurred. As Josh mentioned, we're not not uh, quite there yet, but the idea is, is that, um, you know, what humans are really good at doing is, is providing context. So as part of what you do with the, the, the machine learning and some of the natural language processing and some of the, the rules you end up putting in these systems, um, you know, While we may not be to the, there's a direct action. And that's, that's one of those cases. I I don't think I'd want a computer to, to automatically say, turn, turn a power plant on and off. Uh, (laughs) What it can do is, is is search through uh, what you've put in there in the way of uh, solutions for those run books or, or whatever that's been triggered, uh, you know, based on a bunch of conditions and provide you with a smaller subset than you having a hundred to pick from, you may only have to have pick from five. Uh, So that's a time savings, but also, you know, it's done all the, the, the heavier evaluations to know that this is, this is what you're going to do. So back in, Back in healthcare for us it was one of those cases where uh, allowed us to, to look through massively different sets of data and then get an idea of like hey is this is this a problem doctor um, and here's all the data to back it up and it allowed us to, to kind of make those those uh, decisions a, a little bit uh, quicker than we would if we had to kind of like look across the spreadsheet and do that a lot of that stuff manually. Yeah, you know, basically, uh, you know, unlike uh, the infrastructure and, and so forth that we're so, so uh, uh, accustomed to seeing uh, these tools applied to, uh, getting back to that data science aspect is, is using, using these similar type of tools to uh, uh, you know, provide insights uh, to kind of make those decisions as well and, and provide them in an intelligent fashion
1: so in other words Iron Man Precision versus Hulk Smash you know Hulk I was just trying can, to bring
2: exactly. it back around I mean Hulk there's can, the tortured metaphor thank you
0: <laughs> Hulk can be surgical in this smashing I mean you know it, sure it'll be a block instead of like three blocks but whatever yeah
2: well, that's endgame that's a, that's end game versus uh, the original Avengers movie so. the smart
0: Hulk yes yeah. I always like have you ever seen the meme the, the credible Hulk I love that meme
1: <laughs> yes. No, I have not I use, seen yeah.
0: I use thought and reason instead of anger to make my decisions. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. We've talked a lot about Splunk and, and how it's used in, in infrastructure for IT and, and you know, with along with AI ops and all the other types of ops that we have out there. Um so Josh, you know, I I know you know, to circle it back around, let's talk about the architecture again, the infrastructure. What are you seeing out there in terms of deployments that integrate NetApp?
1: I think the the biggest thing that I'm seeing obviously is people looking at E-Series um, for handling that hot data. Um, I've had a couple of conversations actually just in the week because as as you mentioned, um, there is a an increased appetite. Um, and what I find so fun and interesting is that while we also see a, a tremendous increase in adoption of our cloud offerings, we're also seeing increases with on-premises uh, implementations. Um, you know, day, data is so critical for everybody. Um, so seeing a lot of E-series, seeing a lot of storage grid, um, you know, the ability to utilize that S3 protocol to uh, offload to your cold and just the, the cost effectiveness that we can now you know, realize um, for supporting Splunk and, and the growth that, that, that data ingest. Um, those, those are the two key areas.
0: Yeah, I would imagine E-Series ties in well because, you know, you're looking for that sheer throughput, right? Able to yeah. ability to ingest that data as quickly as possible without any of the overhead of, you know, the features that other things may offer. Um, but but E-Series just gives you that raw throughput.
1: Yeah, and we're also seeing a lot more interest uh, in architecture supporting search across longer timelines. Um, you know, so this is where, you know, having that quick throughput has been so, so critical, It you know, even if you're running 15 uh, k drives, you're you're not getting the same throughput that you get from flash, not even close. Um, and so, uh, looking doing historical searches also continues to increase. Like that, that need to say, hey, let's look at what's going on compared to what was going on last year this time or last quarter during this time. Um, and that is also a critical component to uh, long term success with AI ops platforms as well. So as those um, algorithms and those and machine learning tool sets that are out in market, they're going to want to look at longer data sets and be able to um, you know, continue to to look at and avoid over-normalization uh, of the data so that they can get true pattern recognition.
2: I'll kind of bringing in the, the other aspect there, I, I, I like how we focus on dev and ops, and I'm, I'm a die in the security person. So you know, a lot of times for, uh, uh, you know, kind of attacks and, and, and campaigns, uh, it occurs over a long, long period of time. And, and having technologies that allow you to, to do that uh, rapidly and in, in near real time is definitely helps on the security side as well. Uh, you know, uh, looking at, uh, you know, how things change from day-to-day attacks, minute by minute, second by second. Uh, You know, being able to have that at your uh, fingertips and be able to to do that look back over longer periods of time to actually, you know, uh, is an immeasurable uh, capability for people.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that as far as the security sector goes, having something like Splunk that can kind of notice when things have changed and you Mm -hmm. you don't expect them to, you can notify people, oh, you may have a potential breach over here. You may want to check that out.
1: Yeah, it's like, hey, this looks weird.
2: (laughs) It's a reduction in severity. Yeah, um, definitely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You, you can you can you know go ahead and remediate it now because you know, like you mentioned, it's a it's a long term project basically where they'll infiltrate your network and then just kind of creep along in the files, hoping you don't notice, and then one day they pull the trigger and you have a ransomware attack.
1: <laughs> and of course, security hindsight is always twenty twenty. Oh, we should have <laughs> saw that.
0: <laughs> totally should have saw that. Splunk would actually air those grievances. <laughs> huh.
2: It's it's the festivus of software, right?
0: Well, Josh didn't see it. We sent him messages. That's exactly right. He's like, he turned off his pager. Josh. So, Josh, uh, 10,000 foot view summary here of what what we just talked about. You know, give it to me.
1: Sure thing. Um, so going forward, the tools of the future and what we require in order to support the more complex systems that that we're now all responsible for, we have to have expansive data access, right? We need to be able to bring in metric event data, log data, trace data. We need to be able to bring all that data in, centralize it, and be able to correlate it. Then we get to apply that with machine learning and predictive analytics so that we can identify what's happening. Um, be very smart about how we alert and when we alert instead of, you know, sending a thousand alerts for something. I think we maybe can just send one because um, it's really easy to automate, start opening up a ticket. It's really hard to automate closing one. Right. And then finally the closed loop incident management, just making sure that, you know, the right people are being called, the right things are being addressed. Um, you know, the Iron Man suit for IT operations and, and DevOps folks uh, making sure that you know, they're they're focusing their energy in the in the right areas, uh, and and not, you know, having to deal with a volume of time or like a a span of time dealing with this volume um, and and variety of challenges that that
0: they're now facing. Amelie, did you have any closing thoughts?
2: Uh, yeah, no, I just to tie into to what Josh said. Uh, you know, it's definitely quality over quantity. Um, uh, humans uh, frizzle out very quickly. Um, so I think, uh, you know, where we are going with, uh, the capabilities that we can provide are to reduce the, the mental load on individuals to, to help make those better decisions. Uh, I know, you know, I deal with a couple other things in, in my free time, helping some folks out on some, uh, issues. And, and one of the, the constant things through there is like, well, we have all this, all this data, but you know, we're, it, it's overwhelming and it's like, well, you, know, you can kind of, kind of solve that by, uh. You know, pre-processing it and giving giving folks uh, quality decision points. Um, so i th- I think that's I think that's a big advantage for us going forward uh, i I think also you add the situation we find ourselves in where everybody's remote now and the you know kind of the mental health of people may be a little uh, uh, stressed just with dealing with a lot of stuff so uh you know if if uh, technology can kind of help alleviate that problem rather than actually add to it uh you know that's that's a, de- a definite benefit now we just gotta kind of figure out how to to do that with uh, distance learning and childcare. <laughs> so that could be the next uh um a splunk based
1: tool that we'll have you're you're spot on cuz i'm going to have to splunk my my three elementary school kids homeschooling for the next year
2: exactly yeah, and get get have have the uh, Splunk certifications for your kids.
1: That's it. Well, I mean that that's actually one of the reasons why when all of this started, we released our remote work insights um, to kind of help organizations deal with the fact that VPN traffic was higher, Zoom traffic was higher, Office three sixty five, the way it was being used was different, or Google uh, Google Docs. Um, yeah, I think I think I'm going to have to push for them to do a home edition as well.
0: All right, Amelie, Josh, thanks so much for joining us today. So Amelie, if we wanted to reach you, how would we do that?
2: Uh, you can reach me, uh, on Twitter at WebJedi. Um, I'm pretty much most of the day, <laughs> uh, you know, going off about, you know, technology and whatnot, but also things like Lego and humor as well. So not always just a, a techie. Um, but also I, I, occasionally write some stuff for my blog at all the ops work since we were kind of poking fun at the, uh, the, the moniker, uh, I decided to kind of take it one step further.
1: All right. And Josh, so easiest place to find me is on the Twitter machine at josh underscore at well and for anybody that's interested in hearing more about splunk what we're doing um, we do have our annual uh, conference coming up conf uh, it's a great event this year of course it's going to be virtual uh, so you can check that out online conf.splunk.com
0: all right that music tells me it's time to go let's like get in touch with us send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire TechOnTap Podcast team, I'd like to thank Josh Atwell and Amelie Coran for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Me that's getting off on this? Oh yeah.